In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Very good evening to you. Lovely spring evening. Father Brendan Kilcoyne coming to you from Athenry, County Galway, with the Brendan option. Interesting readings today. Well, when are they not? Okay, when are they not? In, in the first reading in Deuteronomy, or sorry, Leviticus, what am I saying? Leviticus, you have, of course, the, the ritual uncleanliness of leprosy. The lepers, at the sight of any disease of the skin, are to separate under suspicion of leprosy. They're to be taken to one of the priests. He must be declared unclean. He must wear his clothing torn and his hair disordered. This is Leviticus 13. He must shield his upper lip and cry unclean, unclean. As long as the disease lasts, he must be unclean. Therefore, he must live apart. He must live outside the camp. That's interesting because uh, I'm here in Athenry, which is in some respects, in some respects, one of the best preserved the medieval towns in Ireland. The largest percentage of wall, for example, medieval murage of walling uh, left. And one of the original gates, as far as I remember, was, I think, the Spittle Gate. And there was a, a leprosarium, a leper hospital, I think, outside of it. Leprosy was, was known in Ireland in the Middle Ages, would have come in on the ships. A terrible disease. The real thing, Hansen's disease, I mean, the real thing is a terrible, I'm thinking of Father Damien now in Molokai, is a terrible, terrible disease and a long lingering death if it can't be treated, as in those days it couldn't be. Now, we talked about this before. You need to be a little bit careful about this because leprosy in those times, the critics will tell you, the scholars, nearly any disease of the skin and diseases of the skin were quite common. Remember the proximity in which people lived and the lack of hygiene. I mean, there was normal hygiene, but nothing like what we have now with our knowledge of germ theory and that kind of thing. Uh, you know, antibacterial wipes and all that sort of stuff. There was nothing like that. And indeed, our standard of hygiene wouldn't have obtained even 50 years ago, probably. This is any disease of the skin will immediately frighten everyone. Now, were some of them leprosy? Quite possibly. And I'll tell you why. Because leprosy was almost... We know that leprosy existed in the Holy Land. Uh, it had existed for something like 300 years by the time Christ came. 300 years. So it was around, but probably not in the time of Leviticus. I think it came in from India. Please, the Indians, don't get thick with me about that. India is just so vast and enormous and probably comparatively at the time was so civilised and, and had such large populations. About 300 years before Christ. But I mean, check the commentaries if, if you don't believe me and look it up. So Leviticus is probably not talking about what we would call Hansen's disease, but... The gospel may well, we don't know for sure, but the gospel may well be talking about the real deal. May well be talking about it. And in any case, some of these skin diseases could be absolutely awful. So the man, you know, he had to be declared unclean and he was untouchable. Keep in mind as well that you're dealing with a sort of what the anthropologists would call a, a kind of pansacralism in those ancient days, where the sacred and profane were mixed together and kind of everything was sacred. Everything had a metaphysical significance. So you have to remember that unclean doesn't simply mean hygienically dirty. Unclean is a profound disorder, an objective disorder, a deviation from the will of God, from his plan. So it's a very serious business. It is very serious to be unclean. 
Now, the Jews were strict in the matter. Their strictness varied. I seem to remember reading of a, of a debate. I think it's in the Qumran documents. I'm not sure. And actually, where the Qumran community, I think, took an even stricter line than the Pharisees. But I'm open to correction on that. And that was in the matter of, um, of pouring liquids. Let's say you had an unclean vessel and you poured the liquid from the unclean vessel into a clean vessel. Did that make the clean vessel unclean? And I think the Pharisees said no, but the, the Qumran people, I don't think, agreed with them. Later down, there were groups among the Jews who took this to with almost scientific... I mean, just think of COVID now or all the other stuff, like you know, radioactivity, everything. It was a kind of proto-scientific approach to things. So to, to be a leper was, I mean two, three, four times unlucky because you were absolutely outcast. You were absolutely, and a figure of horror and contempt. And that could even be from people, you know, who would have been your friends beforehand. I heard the same thing said about TB, you know, is that, is that people would immediately sort of withdraw from a family who were known to have TB in the house. And it was fear. And, you know, I thought we saw a bit of it at the beginning of the COVID thing as well. I'm just saying that's there in us, you know, that tendency to other people, that tendency to make them absolutely untouchable, okay? Absolutely untouchable, as indeed you had a class in the, the Hindu-Indian order, the, the Brahmin class was the top class, I think, wasn't it? And then, and then the lowest class were the untouchables. So I'm looking now at the psalm, and if I'm not mistaken, the psalm fits beautifully. Because we're looking at um, Psalm 31. Happy the man whose offence is forgiven, whose sin is remitted. Oh, happy the man to whom the Lord imputes no guilt, in whose spirit is no guile. Remember that physical, physical distress, illness, disease, bad luck. Remember Job, all this. Remember that it was often taken as well by many of the Jews to be a sign of a spiritual malaise, that you must have done something wrong. And so it's picking up on this mixture of the sacred and the profane of physical disease with spiritual disease and so on. By now I have acknowledged my sins, my guilt I did not hide. I said I will confess my offence to the Lord. And this is beautifully building up to the gospel. It's just a lovely, as the Italians would say, percorso. It's a way, a path, a stroll, eh? a pleasant journey leading up to the gospel. And what's the response? You are my refuge, O Lord. You are my refuge, O Lord. You just keep in mind that the camp of the lepers outside the walls, the refuge of the lepers to which they're banished. Now God is the refuge of the outcast, which is a tremendous thought because that is clearly what's coming out of the gospel. 1 Corinthians, again, I think picks it up quite nicely. These readings are beautifully arranged. It doesn't always work, but it's working perfectly today. And where he says, uh, Paul says, never do anything offensive to anyone, to Jews or Greeks or to the church of God or whatever. He's kind of hinting at the divisions that are among the believers. As new men would have said, will you be gentlemanlike? If you believe in God, if you believe you're saved, will you show it? Will you be kind to people for goodness sake? Will you show them loving kindness, as it's said in the Bible? And so we go on to Mark chapter 1. And we've been in that for some time now, for several Sundays. The leper comes to Jesus and he pleads on his knees. And here, I love this. If you want to, he said, you can cure me. 
if you want to, you can cure me. I love the, the as we would say in Ireland, the boldness of that. The boldness, the cheek, the neck, the nerve. He's almost narky. He's almost uh, defiant. He's insolent. Feeling sorry for him, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. Now, in the original Greek, the feeling sorry for him, it's a very interesting, it denotes a huge movement of the heart and the emotions. And it could be translated either way. Some translations in the past actually used to have said, that Jesus was angry, either angry at the importunity of the of the leper, or maybe angry just to see the evil that was afflicting him. But modern translations tend to go with feeling sorry for him, out of compassion, you know. Jesus stretched out his hand and he touched him. Now that's seismic. That's seismic. That's like, you know that touch in, in, in the Sistine Chapel, Michelangelo of God and Adam? You know the two fingers reaching out to each other? You know that touch? That's what that is. Newman talked about the electricity between teacher and student. I talked last week about Dr. Magnificus. I talked about Jesus as the great teaching. This is a teaching hospital, a university hospital, if you like, the divine university hospital, where Jesus, teacher and physician, at the same time, heals body and spirit. And first of all, you have this tremendous movement of compassion, or maybe a bit of anger to it at, at the state of the man. Okay, this because he probably the most horrible sores and oh, he probably looked like you know what. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. Do you remember the vessels? The clean, the unclean, pouring one into the other? What's just happened? Tell me, because I love talking to intelligent people. Tell me what's just happened. He's unclean now himself. He has touched uncleanliness and profound uncleanliness. That's bad and bad enough. But he touched him. Okay. Of course I want to, he said. Be cured. And the leprosy left him at once. Do you remember I said before a few times, Caiuthas, 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 immediately, at once, suddenly. It left him at once. Mark keeps up the movement. Bang, bang, bang. It's at the double. It's at the double the whole time. And he was cured. The march of the spirit, the powerful surge of God through the world. Caiuthus, Caiuthus. And again, and, you know, and immediately, you know, straight away, he was cured. And now the outcast are brought into the fire. Or rather God has gone out to them. And their camp, their hideous camp of hovels, you remember the old South African townships where the poor black people used to have to live if they were servicing the, the wealthy areas of the, of the city, of the white areas? That's where the lepers are out there. And he has gone out to them. And now God is the leper colony. He is their refuge. He is where they're banished. So they're not banished. He makes all things new. He has revoked this. This has emotional, spiritual, physical, theological ecclesiological, anthropological. This is absolutely savage. I, no, I don't mean that savage, savage. I mean savage in the sense in which you know, the young people say it now, because you know, I'm pathetic, I, I keep trying to sound young. Okay, it's totally savage. This is incredible stuff. This guy's serious. It has juridic consequences. It has political consequences. The outcasts are brought in. And isn't that what the Pope is talking about? 
I mean, liberation theology was a fantastic vision, a bit like Rahner's vision of the baptism of, or the sort of anonymous Christianity was, as Ratzinger said about it, was something stupendous about it, about the vision, is he was on to something, but he just didn't have it quite right. Uh, liberation theology as well, with the Marxist thing and that kind of thing, I mean, it was, and it was even outdated Marxism. It was outdated Marxism, because Marxism has moved away on, as you know. But we'll talk about that again. It's, it's moved away from the whole economic, everything based in economics, to now everything's based in culture. And it's a cultural war. And it's very effective. I'll tell you, very, very effective. Because we, we know, because we're fighting it. Okay, this is huge. This is the true revolution. Be cured. Of course I want to. And even that, of course... This isn't simply condescension. This isn't paying charity. Of course I want to. Why wouldn't I? So who else would you ask? Who would you go to? And he cures him. Jesus immediately sent him away and sternly ordered him, mind you say nothing to anyone, but go and show yourself to the priest and make the offering for your healing. The, the, the regulations that are laid down, okay, to go and do it because the priest has to declare him clean. In other words, he has to declare him in order, back in the community and in God's plan. So the man goes away. And then, and then you have a tricky bit there. Started talking about it freely. Actually, the subject isn't clear there. Now it is all right. There's a debate about that. He started talking about it freely and telling the story everywhere so that Jesus could no longer go openly into any town. That may be Jesus who's telling the story everywhere because that could be that can be translated differently, you know, is that he preached many things. I mean, the critics aren't clear on it, so I mean, I'm, I'm certainly not going to solve anything if they're not. But uh, what's clear is that his fame is spreading. And almost certainly your man couldn't keep his trap shut anyway. But his fame is spreading and now he is, at the risk of sounding vulgar about it, he is a celebrity. He's a celebrity and, and he, he, goes, he goes into a town. Now he's mobbed. And remember, he's more than a celebrity in the sense that he's a celebrity who can cure people. And so he had to stay outside in places where nobody lived. And in spite of that, they'd still find him. This is absolutely powerful. I mean, it's scary as well, because we do that othering all the time. It's, the, it's part of the way we form closely knit ethnic groups, as part of the way we form communities, all sorts of clubs and societies, and it's all good, but it's dangerous. You can't afford to be declaring people unclean without remembering that what you're doing is banishing them into God. So where are you if that's where they are? Interesting question. Not a very pleasant one. I'm going to really play hardball here now. I'm really going to talk about some nasty stuff. I'm going to play hardball because the, there is no point. Okay, there's no point just giving you a load of nice, just nicey, nicey thoughts that, that won't take you anywhere. I mean, look at the people we see as unclean, with very good reason in some cases. The obvious ones, and uh, it's a lot to ask of people to reach out to them. To touch them would be, let's say, the people who have abused children and rapists. I won't say murderers because I know this is a shocking thing to say, but murder has a certain spurious glamour attached to it. A murderer is certainly a part. There's no question of that. A child molester or a rapist is, is so other. Okay? Now, I'm not saying that we can tolerate that because we certainly cannot. I'm not saying that that shouldn't be punished because it must be. I remember one day seeing 
a former politician who was in bother. Now, he was in bother, and he did have questions to answer, fair enough. There were issues about money and that kind of thing. And he was arriving at a tribunal. I admit that I did admire this politician, so it's only fair that I say that, okay? It's only fair. He's dead now. He arrived at a tribunal in Dublin Castle that was looking into all of this. And a crowd had gathered to boo him as he went in. And people were saying, oh, the people wanted to show their disapproval and haven't we, you know, we've reached this great maturity in our lives. Well, I thought they were the greatest pack of scoundrels and lachicos to be standing there in that square, to have gone to the trouble to stand there to boo at a helpless man, at a man before whom they would once have trembled or whose favour they would have wanted. I thought it was despicable. If a man has to answer, that is a sombre and terrible thing, if a man has to answer to, the, to, to justice. Let him answer for the love of God and don't, don't make an ass of yourself, spiritually and morally as well as socially, by doing things like that. Shouting at people. God's sake. Kind of carry on as that. I think we will be judged terribly for our judgment of others. Not for our administration of justice, not for our righteous anger at egregious wrong, not, not for, not for, not for, not for, not for a thousand things. But you may not judge a soul. And you have no business setting up leper colonies to which people are banished. Remember if you do, it's to God they go even if they don't know they're going to God. And if they're in God and you've made as much of a distance between them and you as you possibly could, I ask you again, where are you? Look around you, look behind you, look under you. Where are you if they're with God and you're not letting them with you? This other thing is very dangerous. You know, I'd be conservative, conservative churchman. I never make any bones about that. I'd be slightly, not in economics, mind you, but I'd be, slight, I'd be slightly right a centre in law and order things and that kind of thing. Economically, I don't see it as being that simple. And I don't, <laughs> I, I was going to say I don't understand economics, but the same problem seems to affect some economists. In fairness, economy is incredibly complex. All right, this is where the church has to stand. Personally, I feel there is no way a country like the United States can be letting, in, letting immigrants in hand over fist and neither should Europe. Higgledy-piggledy without, you know, without any clear sort of strategy and policy for the long term. That's, that's absolutely crazy. And all it will do is birth some very, very worrying movements. That's what it will do. It's doing it already. But the other side of it is, we don't get to decide who's a leper. We don't get to judge other people. We don't get to judge souls. So we have to keep remembering that. You have to run a country. Yes, you do. And on the other side, you have to love your neighbour. Yes, you do. By crikey, you have to do that too. So this Christianity business is hard work. <laughs> okay, I'm going to do this again. And I, I said I'd stop doing it, but I'm going to do it again. When I had the stroke, okay, you can go to sleep now for a while. I had to learn to walk again. And one of the instruments of torture that the physios had, these, these amazing people who made me walk again, one of these fiendishly clever inventions was a heavy-duty rubber cushion on which you had to stand 
upright and keep your balance. I think it was filled with water. And it, <laughs> it was fiendishly difficult. Because actually when you keep your balance, your muscles are doing a whole load of very complicated things all at the same time. And that's Christianity. It's something you must engage with, with your hero Israel, the Lord your God is one God. You should love the Lord your God with all your mind, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your body. All of you. We're spiritual Semites, as Pius XI reminded us. Okay? It's an Eastern religion. All right, I know it was Hellenized, but it's an Eastern religion. The Jewish view of human nature is, it is one. You have to live fully. So you have to keep making decisions. Keep informing yourself. You know the old rhetoricians, the, the Romans, the Greeks, what is it they used to say that the, the main points of rhetoric were uh, inventio, was finding the material, dispositio, disposition, was where you arranged the material. And then, what was it? Oh, there was another one and I can't remember it. And then the last one, I think, was elocutio where you enunciated, you enunciated the arguments. Maybe the last one was disputatio, where you actually got stuck in. But I mean, you have all this to do. And you can say, oh, that, that, that's for a, a barrister. That's for, you know, somebody who has to be totally on top of their game all the time, the head of a company or something. You have something that's worth more than all the gold mines in the world, than all the silver mines in the world, and all the emerald mines in the world worth more than all the industry in the world and all the GDP of all the companies. You have a soul which is utterly unique and eternal. And that's what you have to manage. And I really suggest, with the greatest respect, uh, speaking as somebody who's making a pig's breakfast of it most of the time, I really suggest that if a, wor a job is do worth doing well, it's worth doing badly, get up off your backside, stop waiting to do it perfectly and start living. Start living the way we're meant to live. Use your heart. Do you see the way Christ is moved in his heart? This is God, the God-man. He's moved profoundly in his heart, in his blood, in his emotions. Use your heart. Use your head. And use your two feet and cross the road to shake hands with somebody you don't like. Cross the road to shake hands with a stranger. I'm just asking, you know, do you know the lepers? Would you know them if you met them? Because, believe me, if you're human, you probably have a gallery of people in your mind who do look hideous. That's because you don't like them. Can you cross the road to them? This is huge. Of course I want to, he said. Be cured. And, and I'll tell you something else. I, I think I've said, made this point before, but you can't make it too often. The Protestants are much better at this. I'll tell you something else here. It's the pure neck of a born politician, the pure brazen neck of a gifted business person, man or woman, that's going to serve you in good stead here. Do you see what the leper does? He goes, if you want to, you can cure me. This is a tough uh, operator. This is a chancellor. This is, this, is, this is a man, he's taking, I don't know, there's a sense of an easy, violent man. You see, he's not necessarily a good man. He may be good or he may not. Uh, the Jews probably wouldn't have regarded him as good because he had leprosy. But as Christ makes the point elsewhere, that doesn't mean that he or his parents are bad. No, no. But I just get the sense there, there's a bit of, a, a bit of the chav in this guy. If you want to, you can cure me. You know, are you too tight? Are you too mean? Are you too parsimonious? You stuck-up Pharisee. 
that you won't cure me. You have this power and you won't do it for me because I'm just dirt under your shoe, haven't I? And you can sense a bit of that coming across. And Jesus, this powerful emotion of, of, of compassion and anger and whatever, Jesus meets his importunity, his neck, his, his grit, his belly, his bottle. Meets him, of course I want to, and touches him. And the veil of the temple is torn in two from top to bottom. This is amazing. Be afraid. Be very afraid. The challenge here is huge for a lot of us. Because I must say in many ways I'm a small man. A small, small little man. As, as, as a professor we had once said, you know, he said, God is not a parsimonious leprechaun who made a little beating of this and a little beating of that and a little beating of the other. In Ireland, we're fond of putting that in, the Gaelic diminutive, which comes at the end of a noun or a name, proper name. We're fond of putting that onto English words. A beating of this and a beating, a little bit, a little bit of this and a little bit of that God made magnificently. Night and day, the earth and the sky, light, everything. He made magnificently, wantonly, with abandonment, with luxuriance, with abundance. Don't let him down. Remember what you come from. You are adopted into his family through Jesus Christ. For goodness sake, will you pull up your britches and, and, and stand square and have a heart and be decent. And I'm not telling you to be a fool. They're two distinct concepts. You can be a fool for Christ, that's a different thing. That's a fool in the eyes of the world. Fool in the eyes of the world may not be a fool. Like the man who bought the field because the treasure was in it, but he was the only one who knew the treasure was in it. He's no fool, but he looked like a fool. No, no, I'm not telling you to be a real fool. I mean, no, no. I'm, I'm, I'm not telling you to abandon your judgment and abandon your, your prudence. But I'm just saying that those should adorn a big heart, a generous open-handed approach. Freely you have been given. Give freely. Touch the leper. Tell the truth and shame the devil. Have you ever heard that? Touch the leper and make hell tremble. When you reach out to somebody who has hurt you, when you reach out to somebody you have othered, when you reach out to somebody who disgusts you, when you reach out to somebody you know, it's been well said by some wit that we never forgive those whom we have betrayed. You know, you spend ages rationalising what you've done to them. When you reach out to somebody like that, when you reach out maybe to somebody genu who's done genuine evil, who is genuinely hard to come near, that is when you're in the person of Jesus Christ. And it doesn't mean that you're, you're a soft touch, that, you, that, that you're soft-headed. On the contrary, Christians can't afford to be soft-headed. We get one shot at this, one shot in freedom to say yes to God. We have that dignity. Say yes to God. Of course I want to be cured. I was watching there lately, uh, and uh, it was amusing in one way, but it was an interview with a woman in America, and she was, she was asked, to, it was something about reaching out to others and reaching out to those whom we don't know and all the rest of it, you know, the whole bit. And she was going, of course, absolutely, absolutely, you're so right. And then the reporter asked her, so would you reach out to Republicans? 
And she said, no. And he said, why not? And she said, because they're demented. They're crazy. They're, the best I could say about them is that they're, they're completely misled. They're, uh, oh, I can't remember what word she used. Was it depraved? We're all a bit like that. You know, you just think of the Catholic Protestant thing in the North. I remember reading about uh, men who served together in an Irish regiment in the First World War under horrific conditions and great heroism. They served together, Catholic and Protestant. And when they went back to Belfast, they didn't speak to each other again. That was terrible. Now, the person telling me said that the fault was mainly with the Protestants. All right, fair enough. Let's accept that. But I have friends who would not allow any of their dead to be buried in a cemetery in which Protestants were buried. It goes both ways. I remember Cardinal O'Fee was once asked, very clever man, he was a private of Armagh, oh, 50, 40 years ago. But uh, he was an historian. He was asked about the North and he said, uh, he said, to be honest, he said 90% of the uh, religious bigotry is on the Protestant side. And he was quoted widely and with, I mean, it really upset Protestants. But the press often didn't report the other half of what he said. And 90% of the political bigotry is on the Catholic side. Othering, 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 othering. And here we have Jesus, who in one gesture, magnificently, beautifully reproaches us for our lack of love and for our unkindness. I mean, so how do you do it? How do you stay true to the Lord? How do you stay true to our faith and yet reach across. Jesus had precisely that dilemma, a devout Jew. He heals people on the Sabbath, and here he is making himself unclean by touching a leper. But the point he is making is that the old law is not swept away, but fulfilled in him. And its full beauty and depth are emerging. It's not that they're cancelled. It is that they have taken human form. He is the Old Testament in the flesh. And remember that the Old Testament isn't all hellfire. Remember the magnificent prof promises of the prophets. Remember the compassion, I said this last week, with which the human dilemma, human suffering, human loneliness, human sense of desolation and pain are expressed in the wisdom literature, in the book of Job, for example. Remember all of that. And here we have our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the new, the, the new and everlasting covenant. He is the covenant. He is the word. Singular. He is the word. And the lepers dwell in him. He is their refuge. So if they're not good enough for you, where are you going to put up? Where's your gaff? Beginning to sound like you might be ending up having to go out and take what the lepers have vacated. This is, a t this is tough. It's magnificent. It's stupendous. It's stupendous. But it's tough. And of course it's deadly dangerous. It is deadly dangerous. You got Jesus killed. Well, I'm simplifying, but you know what I mean. Uh, this, this reaching out, this constant reaching across. I mean, for God's sake, he talked to prostitutes. Unthinkable. He talked to tax collectors, that crowd of thugs and traitors. Unthinkable. Scum. He dined in their houses. Same as he dined in the houses of Pharisees and was reproached for the company he was keeping. He talked to Roman soldiers. Unthinkable. 
the more you realize this, the more you're going to, you're, you're just going to fall in love with this guy. You're going to fall in love with God. You're going to realize that God loves you. And he does love you. He loves you completely. Right. Am I capable, really, of drawing this together, of, of putting... I, I was told once that the sign of a man was the ability to draw order out of chaos. I'm having a, a tough time here, but let's give it a shot. What am I making my pitch for here? I suppose if I were to make a pitch for one practice coming into Lent, I'd be making a pitch for confession, for reconciliation. Look, will you get square with the house? This God is waiting for you. He's waiting on you. You know, this is the guy, the guy waiting to wash your feet. And if he doesn't wash your feet, you can't be saved. This guy loves you. He's waiting to save you. This is your refuge. This is, this is the leper colony. And whether you know it or not, boy, girl, you're a leper. You just don't know it yet. Or maybe you do. Maybe that's what's keeping you from confessions. Maybe you do. Maybe you're ashamed. Uh, maybe you, you, you don't want to seem small in front of the priest. For a start, the priest, if he's any good of a priest, by which I mean if he has assimilated and digested his vocation to any extent, is hardly going to be passing judgment on his penitence. It is his job to say, of course I want to be cured. That's what his job is. His job is to cure. That's what he's for. Healthy, clean souls. That's the business a priest is in. Clean souls, and it doesn't matter how it happens, as long as it happens. So you just go to him. He's the bridge builder, the pontifex, the bridge maker. That's the meaning of the, the word priest in Latin, or one of the Latin words for priest, pontifex, a bridge builder. Let him build the bridge between you and God, if it's down. That's what he's for. Will you use him? And, and for goodness sake, you're going to have to toughen up. You're going to have to be as thick, as bold, as cheeky, as, as, as gorierish, as bousyish, as, as, uh, as uh, bullish as this, 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 this leper who goes, goes, goes into Jesus and said, you could if you wanted to. If you want to, you can do it. I mean, th that's real faith. That is real faith. You're going to have to have the neck to do that. So you walk in and treat the priest like dirt. A good Catholic should know how to do that. Okay, that's what he's for. I don't, you know, I don't mean you should respect the priesthood. I mean, obviously, I'm exaggerating. Okay, don't don't go looking me up and then come in and bait me up or something. But I mean, you have the confidence, will you, to use the priest for what he's for? I mean, what's the point in being an heir to the kingdom if you if if you don't know how to talk to the butler? We should all be ashamed because we're all small when we, we're called to be great. And we're all, we're, we're all fighting off the fireman. We're all f trying to hit the doctor who's trying to cure us. Get into that confessional and you say the, f say the worst thing first. Say the worst thing first because the chances are if you don't get it out quickly, if you don't blurt it out, you mightn't say it. You'll start rationalising, you'll start playing for time, you'll kick the can down the road. You'll quickly work out what the priest wants to t likes to talk about and next thing you'll spend half an hour talking about football and you're gone. Will you go in there and confess your sins like the leper that you are? And I'm talking to you as another leper. And you're talking to a leper because the priest is a sinner who is chosen by God to act in that office. He's not better than you. Spiritually, morally, he should be trying to be good. And most priests are, in, in fairness, very good men. 
but I mean, he is so far, we are so far behind the Christ of which we are a living icon that we are a joke to ourselves. We end up looking ridiculous to ourselves. And that's the man you're afraid of. For goodness sake, will you go in? He is only waiting to be of service to you, to take your coat, so to speak, and sit you down at the table of the Lord. And so that's the message today. The leper colony is the place to be. It's the hot spot and the cool hangout. If you're not in this company, you're going nowhere. I want you to be a leper with attitude. So you go in there for Lent, make your confession and say to the priest, if you want to, you can cure me. And so he will. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you all.